0: Hello. Welcome to We're Only Human. I'm Tim John. I'm not going to lie, this is the third, no, fourth time I've tried recording this. Um, Why? I can't tell you why. But I know that this is the one. This is it. This is the take. Today's guest, Melissa, I met her. I remember this vividly. I met her about a decade ago at the Chase Auditorium in downtown Chicago. We're all there for this event for Technori, this organization at the time that threw events for Chicago startups and technology companies and organizations and just bringing everyone together to Rising Tide Lifts All Boats. Jill Felska was there. uh, Melissa was Jill Felska's friend, uh, is still Jill Felska's friend. Jill Felska, by the way, I'm just going to say her name once more. Jill Felska, previous guest on the podcast. You should definitely listen to her episode after you listen to this one. Amazing conversation. Jill's there. Melissa's there. I I can picture them walking down the the aisle in the auditorium before the event started. And Melissa is talking to everybody a big smile on her face, just super positive energy. And she's just so curious about everyone she's meeting and um, we get introduced. um, And it's just... I remember she was such a positive, exciting, curious person that you just want to talk to and get to know more. And that's exactly why I invited Melissa to the podcast today is to chat and get to know her more. So before we do that, let's do an old fashioned sound check. What did you have for breakfast this morning?
1: Ooh, I don't eat breakfast most days. I had Mm. black coffee and that was it. I find that I work significantly better when I don't have anything in my body early in the morning and I'm not spending all my energy processing uh, food. So I, I just, my energy levels are much more even throughout the day. I usually eat my first meal somewhere between noon and one, but sometimes it's two or three, just depending on the day.
0: Today, I'm joined by Melissa Joy Kong, She's a daughter, a cousin, founder of Iceberg Agency, and these are my own words, but I think you're someone who loves golf, and uh, <laughs> I think you're also someone whose mission in life is to inspire others to sort of lead the life that they want to, or sorry, live the life that they want to live. Um, like, I find you very motivational, and I only, I also, and I share this with you, I find you to be a curious person who is a lifelong learner. you sh- you. you Have always, to me, been someone who's constantly eager to learn and and continue to shape who you are. But again, those are my own words. I'm curious if someone asked you the question, who are you? What would you say?
1: I think it changes depending on what season of life I'm in. But I've gotten a lot of clarity about this question in the sense of what doesn't ever change, the thing that seems to persist regardless of what I'm doing, how I'm spending my time how I'm feeling in the given season of my life that I'm in. And the briefest way to describe it is that I am a woman on a mission to help people fall in love with the way they spend their lives. And that starts with making sure that I'm in love and intentional about the way that I spend mine.
0: How did you, I I would Fully agree with that. Like, that's, I, you put it in perfect words. That's <laughs> probably the best description of you I've ever heard. I'm curious though, um, how did you embark on that mission? Like, did you wake up one day thinking this is what I need to do? Was it a slow process? Was it always in the back of your mind?
1: No, I think it's, well, I think to have that amount of, of clarity about myself, it took a great deal of doing the work and the work being. Deep self reflection, Mm. the constant and sometimes paralyzing analysis of how I spend my time, the thinking through of what really, really matters to me at the very root of who I am. And a big part of that has been the exploration of a lot of things that sit a little bit more above the surface and learning sometimes quickly and sometimes in a really hard, difficult, long way that the things that I you know, culture tells me to care about are not the things that I care about. And, and it's even subtle things too, like the very pervasive conversation that we have in our culture about productivity and how guilty people feel when they rest and how anxious people feel when they start work at nine Oh five and not eight 55, you know? And, and so I think that it's, Come to me that clarity has come to me through a lot of life experience and learning, and um, and that's changed over time. But I think part of it has been the byproduct of my natural inherent curiosity about pretty much every person I meet. It's not to say that I'm always deeply engaged and always ask you know big profound questions when I'm you know at the grocery store checking out, but I think most people, if they were to describe me, one of the, the pieces of feedback that I consistently get is that they consider me to be somebody who is one of the most curious people they've ever met. Meaning I love asking really deep questions and love asking really light questions that maybe no one has ever um, been asked before. There's something about that. I mean, my favorite compliment ever is that's a really good question. <laughs> and i i really enjoy the process of watching people's thinking unfold in real time about who they are about what they're going through in their lives and so that inherent curiosity has led me to some really interesting conversations and situations and work opportunities and life experiences that i don't think i would have had otherwise because so much of the joy and the richness of life i think comes from the way in which you choose to ask questions, answer questions, and engage with people. So really just presence. And that's taken a lot of time for me to figure out as the most important thing. Um, Because so much of, I think most of our lives are not spent in the present at all. Like How much much of your day uh, today was spent thinking about the future, thinking about the past, being somewhere other than where your feet are? That's most of us, most days, right? Unless we're in deep flow work or in deep flow conversation with somebody, we're usually somewhere else. And when you think about time in that way, for me, it's been a reminder that life really, truly is only happening when I am where my feet are fully. And so, to the best of my ability over time, I've gotten, I think, pretty good at being where my feet are. And, um, I still think that I spend more than 50% of my time elsewhere, meaning the past, the the future or in dream state, whether asleep or awake. But um, to me, the goal, happiness, a a lot of happiness is sort of rests in the goal of being increasingly more present and, and in the moment.
0: What what do you think the role of dreams play for you? Like you mentioned you still probably do spend a good amount of your time not in the present as we all do, but like how do you balance wanting to be in the present with dreaming?
1: Well, for me, dreaming looks a lot like planning. For some people it looks really different, but I am a very thorough planner and have in part made a living off of helping people think through their actual time. How are they spending their time? How can they Use it efficiently. How can they use it expansively according to them? Right. I always, I always say, I desire for anybody that I work with to have success on their own terms, and everybody's terms are really different. If, if you really dig in, everyone's terms are not the same as as sure. terms that culture maybe sort of forces us into. So, my version of dreaming looks very much like mapping out the details of my day, my week, my month. Just today, I uh, wrote out, I have this big jumbo wall calendar, and I wrote out sort of all of the things that I've got planned already for the next three to four months and kind of mapped out what the summer looks like for me, mapped out what work projects look like for me, created a bucket list of things that I'd like to do with the free time that I have, whether it be professional or personal. And that is my way of dreaming. It really helps me feel like I have a, a sense of my life, and I can say, okay, these are the people in my life that I care about the most that I always want to make time for. These are the things in my life that I care about the most that I always want to make time for. And this is the work in my life that I care about the most and want to make sure that I'm, you know, committed but not overcommitted or undercommitted. And um, and that's a very, I think, um, specific way of thinking about dreaming, which. Maybe resonates with with some people, maybe doesn't. I feel like dreaming for a lot of people just sort of happens in uh, in their minds and happens in meditation or in sleep. But for me, it happens with tactical planning, um, and I I really enjoy that process. It gives me a, a grounding sense that I am not wasting the resource that is the most precious in my life, which is time.
0: Yeah, you've you've mentioned time quite a few times, and I know you kind of focus your your professional work on time, but. Um, it sounds like it's not just professional. Like it's, uh, I, I think about time a lot because it really is that cliche. Like it's the one thing you can't ever get more of. Mm-hmm. Um, although I just watched the Adam project on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen this movie.
1: Ooh, I haven't, but it's on my list.
0: Oh, it's good. It's cute. It's, um, the premise of the movie is like, uh, this boy, Adam from comes back from the future to visit himself at a previous time to, to accomplish some goal. and. um Just the way they present it as like time travel is a normal thing. I thought, oh my God, what if that happens? But Mm. until we figure that out, time is not (laughs) something you could get more of. And I do think about that a lot. Is there, I think about it a lot because I think as I get older, I think, you know, we're all running out of time. It's it's that simple. So as you get older and you have less time, I think it's natural to think more about it. Why do you think so much about time? Do you think like, because like I said, it sounds like for you, it's, definitely part of just who you are is like, how do I maximize this time, but also how do I just enjoy it as much as possible?
1: Yeah. I think we all care about time. We just show it in really different ways. Maybe that's not Mm -hmm. true. I I, I don't know, but I, I would hazard to guess that most people are conscientious of time that they're spending, time that is passing, time that they're wasting. For me, I've always had this sense, like my biggest fear that, you know, that, that, pervasive question that, that we tend to, to ask one another often, you know, like if if you had one day left to live, what would you do with it?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or if you had one you know, week or year, and regardless of the time length, my answer is always, I would call the people that I love the most. And I would just have one conversation after the other to tell them how much I love them and how much they meant to me. My biggest fear in life, is not dying. It's dying without having a chance to say goodbye to all the people who have meant so much to me and all the people that I've loved and all the people who have made such a difference in my life. And there's quite literally nothing else that I would care about. Like I'm so clear about how I would spend that last day. If I knew that I only had 24 hours left, I would just have 24 phone calls with the, you know, 24 closest people in my life. Uh, or I would get them all together in a room and have one big party. That would be amazing and idea. I guess I could like max out a bunch of credit cards since I wouldn't have to pay for it. That'd be cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, it, that I think to me guides so much of how I live my life now. And I don't, I don't subscribe to the idea of constantly thinking and living like it's, it's your last day because that can get you into some really bad habits quickly. But I do think like often when I'm in a group, one of my favorite things to do when the group is ending is to tell, to go around the room and tell people, regardless of how long I've known them, whether I've known them for years or that dinner, that, that meal that we're sharing, I will go around the room and tell everybody what i what I've loved the most about them and what has meant the most about them to me. And that small gesture, which is so genuine. I, I mean, I don't do that or ask that or go around the Around a table and and share that with people, unless it feels like the right space for me to do that and there's the right container to do it. But I often find that we so rarely tell people all the good things that we think about them, and it's really the most important thing. That that and being honest with who you are and with yourself and and with your growth in your own healing in your life. But um, but I love that question because the way it reminds people how you see them, like the good that you see in them. And, um, and to me, I think that is, is rooted in that constant coming back to or understanding of the importance of time and not really knowing how much you have of it. So it's like, well, how am I going to make the most of the time that I have? You know, and I don't think that it has to always be so big. You know, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but there've been so many times in my life I've spent so many years of my life feeling like I need to go change the world. You know, I need to go
0: yeah.
1: you know, make a multi-million dollar yeah. company and I need to uh, work with the biggest names in the world and I need to you know, have X number of followers on social media and I need to start my own podcast and make it number one. Like those thoughts of, oh, there's so much potential sitting inside of me and I don't want to waste it, which is certainly true. But more and more, I feel like the best use of my potential is being as deeply present as I can in the moment and doing what I, I joke about this a lot of people who know me well, but I always, I, I say I am the main character in my story. What's good for the plot. So, so much of what I, like I do that. in the moment is just what's good for the plot. And, uh, and I think that really helps time expand in a, in a major way.
0: I find too, with that idea of like, how do I change the world? Uh, Having kids, like I realized sometimes it's about like, whose world do you want to change? Like, Mm -hmm. like you said, like, I think I used to have grand plans uh, along the lines of what you described. And now it's like, honestly, like this week, like my son's got to track me Wednesday and Thursday. And like, Oh, Wednesday is not a day I would normally see them. But I'm like, I want to go to every track meet he has this week. Like, to me, that's changing the world this week. Like, and, and to your point mm-hmm. about being present, like there's nothing I want more than to just be at every one of his track meets, whether I would normally, you know, see him that day or not. And regardless of what I have going on, I'll plan my week to make sure I can be there because, yeah, it's all. I mean, that's, it's about being present and it's about, like I said, how do you change the world, but maybe for specific people or in a specific way rather than, you know i'm not elon musk i'm not uh, getting us to mars
1: i mean completely and it and it isn't to say that we don't all owe it to ourselves and to the world to think of ways and act in ways that maximize our our, our ability to be useful
0: and sure. and sure. helpful
1: and i think that ultimately but but i'm really big on the idea of how do you whittle things down to their simplest principle because i feel like so much of life is really really overcomplicated. So to me, the simplest way to make impact is, well, how do I best give in this moment, in this day, in this week, in this year, maybe, you know, what, what is the best way that I can, that I can give of what I have to other people versus how can I get things from other people? And that's a really insidious mindset that I think most of us, even though, even the, the kindest among us, fall into is we inevitably spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves, right? Because we really are the ones that we spend the most time with. So it's natural that we do that. I don't think that it's super egoic or really bad. It's just, of course, of course, we're going to think mostly about ourselves because we are the center of our own stories. We are the, the character in our life's book that we are going to be the most invested in. And um, I think that, you know, one of the other things that we overcomplicate is this idea of like, oh, what's your purpose or what is, what is your mission in the world? And I personally have spent so much time spinning my wheels feeling n- like not enough or like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing somehow because I thought there was supposed to be this really neat, perfect answer to that question and that it wasn't okay for me to change industries, change jobs, change interests and the more time passes the more i feel that actually the easiest most effortless thing in the world is to do more of the things that bring that light you up and bring you joy and um of course there's self awareness in that right like it brings me joy to drink a bottle of wine with my friends but sometimes that's not always helpful right like i like yeah. like i think there's there's always there's always of course being honest with yourself and being self-aware and this this advice is, is of course said with a bit of an asterisk for all of the behaviors that numb us which i think is they can be good feeling inducing but they're not necessarily joy centers for us right so they can be pleasurable but not not necessarily joyful joyful i think is more of a deeply rooted thing but to me, the the simplest way, like that breakdown, right? What's the simplest way that we can address that pervasive question that culture always asks us of, you know, what is the meaning of my life and what is my purpose and what am I supposed to do can be summed up in an experience that I had in college many, many years ago at this point. And I don't remember the woman's name and I'm so bummed because I would love to message this woman and tell her how impactful what she said was, but this beautiful poet came to visit my college. I went to Hamilton college in New York and it was a rainy day and we were in this events barn and the barn, I believe had like a tin roof. So you could really hear the rain. It was this beautiful backdrop to this woman, you know, sharing her poetry and in the middle of her talking, she just paused for what as a college kid felt like a ridiculous amount of time. I was like, is she okay? Like, do we need to to check on her? And she just (laughs) sat there with her eyes closed and it must've only been a couple minutes, but it was long. It was a a long and meaningful pause. And she opens her eyes and says, does everybody hear the rain? You know, and everyone sort of looks at each other and is nodding. And I think a lot of us were just like really grateful. She was like, okay. And as she was talking again and And then she goes on to say, she sort of stops the poetry and goes on to say, you know, everything in this life is just cells. The chair that you're sitting on, the body that you're composed of, the person sitting next to you, all of it is just cells, the water you're drinking. And whenever we interact with an animate or inanimate object, we are just exchanging cells. That's all life is. It's just an exchange of energy. And your only job in this world is to make sure that the cells that leave you are good ones. And it's such a simple way for me of thinking about what it means to live a a purposeful life and to find your purpose for being. Because when you think of it through that lens, it really does just come down to what brings me joy so that the cells that leave me are the best possible selves. And that doesn't mean that I'm responsible for how other people interpret everything that I say. It doesn't mean that I'm responsible for everybody else's feelings or emotions. As somebody who has spent a lot of her life as a writer, and it's one of the many titles that that I hold, I know that when I tell a story publicly, it's no longer mine. And whatever happens with the story, however people perceive it, it's their story to interpret, to ingest, to project. And and so I think there is always that balance of, of being conscientious and thoughtful about what you put out in the world, but not taking responsibility for how it impacts every single person because everyone comes with their own stories and their own filters and their own projections and challenges. But I think being, working on on Self awareness enough to feel a deep seated contentment with the way in which you cultivate the good cells in you that then go leave you, whether in conversation or even just in passing. You know, I mean, how many times have you walked by somebody on the street and they're just, they've got this big beaming smile on their face and it, and it like makes you smile, right? Like it's that's, and you'll never see them again. But just, it's literally just the energy exchange of somebody walking past you and how they light up a room with, with the way that they smile or how light they're walking on their feet. And, and so I think that's, that's what good cells are. And the simplicity of that is so shocking and so overwhelmingly beautiful and also so realistic and tangible to be able to actually go do that in your day to day life that I think it allows a little bit more freedom for us all to just be present and with each other and with ourselves versus constantly running and trying to figure out some big grand plan for who we're going to be, you know, a month, a week, a year down the road. Um, that was in the right order, week, month, year. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that concept. I have just kind of processing it as you say it, but it's so true. Like, I've, I've thought about this from kind of, the macro perspective too of when the aliens finally come to earth and, and find this planet and just sort of look at what we are and who we are. Like from that perspective, we're just this species on a planet. Like we're all the same. And from that perspective, right? Like all our differences aren't so different and we're all in one planet together and that's it right like everything else that's happening on this planet happens just at our little micro level but when you zoom out like we're just people on a planet so i love like what you said or the poet said about the cells because it's it's so true like that's even i'm thinking about this that's wild to think about because then you think about we're all just this little i don't even know what you call a cell but this little like building block that has created all of this
1: yeah Yeah. We're just tiny little amoebas just floating around in the universe. Yeah. I mean, it, I always have this image of, because the, um, the Amazon is such an enormous, expansive forest, right? Like it's, it is just the biggest, one of the biggest land masses on, on the planet. And I I always think of this image of me being like the tiny baby ant on a little leaf on a small bush Next to a medium tree, next to, you know, and you stand it out out and you would never see it, right? Unless you were right there, you would never see the ant because it's so, 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 so tiny in the expanse of the whole thing. And that ant has no idea what the Amazon is. There's no sense or no awareness of what the Amazon is for that ant. All the ant knows is as far as that ant is able to walk in its lifetime, right? All that ant knows is the leaf that it's on and the soil that is underneath the leaf and how the sun is feeling or not how the rain is feeling on their feet and on their body. And that's it. That's it. So I, I, I'm, I'm amazed by how truly little we actually know and sometimes you get little, this is why reading and, and listening to podcasts is so fascinating because somebody will will say something on a podcast and you're like, I have never even thought about that in my life. Yes. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll hear something and I'll Google it. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, like as somebody who doesn't have children yet, I think about just the world of stuff that I don't know related to, to something as big as children, right? Which is something that a lot of people can relate to. And then you think about crazy stuff like that astrophysics and multiple dimensions and deep fakes and like all this crazy stuff. Um, a lot of people would probably add Bitcoin to that list and like crypto. Um, but I'm just, I'm just amazed by all of the things that we, that we don't know. And, and, um, I I find that to be really fun and humbling. You know, I, I think that there's, it's amazing, sometimes overwhelming, but amazing how much there, there really is to learn.
0: Yeah, it is. It is humbling. Yeah. It's also just kind of awe-inspiring.
1: It is. I, I have a question for you. Yeah. I'm curious, in doing all of these podcasts and these having having these conversations, what surprised you about being human? How has it changed the way you think about being human and how has it changed you?
0: That's a great question. I think so many of us are Ah, looking-
1: you said my favorite thing.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I could compliment you in the way that means the most. <laughs> I think so many of us are looking for similar things um, as humans, you know, like maybe in different ways, but I think so many of us are, are seeking... It's almost like that, you know, a couple single or a couple simple truths almost, right? Like... You know, like you said about being present, I think so many of us, you know, if we could choose, we would want to be more present in our everyday lives, you know, we're, 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 for whatever reason we might not be. I think we would, if given the choice, although I guess, I suppose we are all given the choice every day, but um, so that that's, I don't know if that surprised me so much, but it's reaffirming maybe. There's the, my kind of the inspiration for this podcast back when I started it uh, at the end of 2019 was there's so much value in understanding that whatever you're going through or the story you're living through there's someone else out there also mm-hmm. going through that or living through that and and hearing you know their story can can mean the world to you so um, i think that's a it's it's huge for me like like you said about listening to podcasts and stuff like i just love listening to podcasts and reading memoirs and stuff and just reading and listening and hearing and learning about other people's stories because there's so many nuggets in there. Like I said, Mm. you know, we all can learn from each other. I, I, when I reached out to you to, to have this conversation, um, I reached out and said, Hey, I'm doing season two of the podcast. And you know, this, this season, I'm really interested in like, who are you? And you, you emailed back. (laughs) <laughs> and you said, who are you is my least favorite question. <laughs> I'm in. And I, Melissa, I was cracking up because I'm like, well, first of all, I have to understand why it's your least favorite question. But also then, you know, the 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 contradiction there, then you're like, I'm in, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. And I thought to mm-hmm. myself, well, so I have to ask you, why is that your least favorite question? And why did you immediately agree to, to explore it with me? <laughs>
1: Um, it's so, the question is so reminiscent for me of that, that first interview question, tell me about yourself. And I always, I always think that it's better to be specific because people get kind of stuck on, on big questions like that. And there's so Uh, many ways to answer it.
0: Yeah, always. I always get stuck. Like That question is so open-ended
1: so open-ended and I'm like, you know, I mean, I could talk, I would much, I, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable being on the end where I'm asking the questions. I think some of that is my, my natural curiosity. And some of that is, is I think when I'm in my, when I'm in fear, it's my way of controlling is the ability to sort of like guide a conversation to guide the energy in a room or, or between in a dynamic. And so, but it's generally a trait I'm, I'm really proud of. And I like being on that end of it being on podcasts where where I get to be the guest is is usually really feels a little uncomfortable to to me because I just don't I don't like being the one who's talking all the time. Some of my friends would be like, you're a liar. You talk a lot. And I do. Like in my (laughs) in my close relationships with people I do I do a lot of my fair share of talking. Um, but I to me that question is so challenging because the answer changes a lot. You know, I mean, if you had, if we were having this conversation three years ago at the start of the pandemic, I'd say, I'm a woman who's feeling really confused or feeling really sad. And it's not that I didn't have a sense of what I, sh- how I described myself in the beginning, you know, back in 2020. It's just the predominant emotion in me was that. And I think that was a universal experience and also a very common individual experience back in 2020 for people all around the world. And, and so that question is always a bit perplexing to me because I'm like, how much time do you have? Like I could be here all day (laughs) telling you about myself. Um, and, and and it, it feels like I'm changing every day too. One of the most fascinating things that I've observed over the last several years is my mom changing, you know, like my mom's interest changing and her health changing and, Forever and ever, she has been one of the most consistent figures in my life. Mom, right? Like she's just mom. She doesn't grow. She doesn't change. She doesn't shift. She's just mom. And I think now that I've reached, you know, that that part where I'm in my, in my, you know, early to mid-30s, and I'm old enough to have experienced so many shifts in my in my own self. And now seeing her kind of in this new season of her life where she's getting older. She's going to be 70 this year um she'd probably be really upset with me sharing that with with the world but um it's that's been one of the one of the things that's been so interesting to me is is like oh wow we're always changing so this idea of who am i i'm like that's I don't I can tell you who I am right now today or how I'm feeling right now today. I can give you a bunch of the roles that I take on, but you know, even even who I am as a daughter is so different than who I am as a girlfriend. Who I am as a girlfriend is so different than who I am as a consultant. Who I am as a consultant is so different from who I am to someone on the internet who has a judgment about me and just maybe doesn't like me, right? Like I'm so many things to so many different people and so many different things to myself. So um I think the question feels really big and kind of messy and that's why I don't love it. Right. Remember I'm, I I like the, let's take out the big jumbo calendar and like map everything out as neatly as possible. So we're making sure we're like optimizing time and getting every packing everything in that we want to get done. Um, So I think that's why I dislike the question. And the reason I said I'm in is because, and I listened to a couple of the other episodes of guests you've had on the podcast previously and, I think this has been something that's been shared on a couple of others in in different words, but I really do enjoy doing things that make me uncomfortable. And I, or rather, I enjoy being the kind of person that is willing to do things that she's uncomfortable with. I don't know that I actually enjoy the experience of being uncomfortable itself, but there's always some kind of interesting growth that happens when i'm when i put myself in a position that feels discomforting in some way because it allows me to have more trust in the the base of the thing which is me right like knowing that i'm always going to show up consistently knowing that i'm always going to say a big yes to whatever feels good and whatever feels joyful and and life expanding and um and at the end of the day that's always i'm always going to choose a conversation you know with with somebody interesting. And um and that I think has been like the very like one of the the big commitments I've made in my life that has really guided me well and that I've never ever regretted was to always put my most important relationships first and to always put conversations first when I can. So you know if my if my mom or significant other or best friend calls me in the middle of the day, unless I'm in a, a business meeting or I'm on a call doing something really important, I always pick it up. I just know that at the end of my life, whenever that is, I hope it's a, a long time from now. But at the very end of my life, I am going to be the most proud of being the person who was who always showed up for the people she loved, and that matters so much more than making money, doing work, not being interrupted, running errands. You know, it's it's so much more important than pretty much anything. Um, and uh, and the same applies to my relationship with myself. You know, like most Thursdays, I do a solo date night and i take myself out to to eat. That's fun. Or i'll i'll make something new that i haven't made before or make something comforting that i I'm, I'm really missing. And it's been one of my most cherished traditions because i think that I, I am in a relationship with myself just like i'm in relationship with other people in my life. And uh and that's been a really wonderful use of my time. Like i know that you know at the very end of my life i'll be really grateful that i i can say i had a re- I have a really good relationship with myself. I know myself well. I'm kind to myself more often than I'm not. I am really good at observing myself and uh, and not and doing my best to be mindful of when I'm saying unkind things to myself. You know, I was do you know Marian Williamson?
0: The name does not ring a bell, no.
1: She wrote a beautiful book called A Return to Love. She's written many, many books. She also ran for president, and it's like I would. I think a lot of a lot of people in mainstream culture would define her very classically as just super wooey. Uh, but I love <laughs> her and think she's amazing, and has a lot of wisdom to offer that is otherworldly. And one of the things that she said on an Oprah podcast was um, that all of us are, you know, ultimately part of a big system. And we kind of talked about this when we were talking about the Amazon and the little ant on the leaf. Yeah. She's like we're the the podcast was referring to relationships and you know deciding what kind of relationship to be in and how to be in how to find the right relationship. And very simply she said that there really isn't a right or wrong relationship. We're here to be in service and in communion with one another and there is an, a natural order to the universe. You know the the people that you meet, the things that you do, the stuff that you learn, it, all of it is is for you in this life, for this iteration of of your soul. Um, and I love the idea of that because it 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 really does bring a beautiful grounding to this question that I don't think any of us are ever going to have the answer to, which is like, what are we all doing here? You know, and and it's like, oh, it's like what we're all doing here is beyond what any of us is ever probably going to come up with the answer to, like maybe we'll come up with like a couple puzzle pieces of it in a 5,000 piece puzzle. But just that, that acceptance that there's so much more going on, that there's, there's such a beautiful order and connection to the universe at large, that it's almost silly to worry about something like, well, how do I find the right right relationship for myself? You know, Um, which is not to, not to minimize the importance of, Of that question in one's personal life. But when you really think of it in the context of the much bigger picture, there is something really beautiful about about trusting that where you are in the moment and the conversations you're having, the relationships that you're in, the things that you're learning, that that is exactly where you're supposed to be, given the natural order of the universe and how kind of things fall into place. I think it's kind of a beautiful thought. And whether it's, whether it's ultimately true or not, I believe that it's true. Whether it's ultimately true or not, I think it's it's good to find things that give you a sense of peace inside and to run with them, even if they don't make sense to everybody.
0: That is a beautiful thought. I, I'm just letting that settle. I love that. Mm. You mentioned your relationship with yourself and it made me think about relationships. And then it made me think about A couple years ago, you went on this like road trip around America to gather love stories. If I remember right, you were speaking to people, I think, who were married a lot and basically exploring like what love and marriage and the different stories people had. I was, I'm curious, what did you, were there any big learnings from that? That was a big undertaking.
1: Yeah, it was. Because it was so many years ago now, it was 2013. And at the time, it was such a monumental project for me in my, in my life. It was one of those big kind of first things that I did where I went out, out on my own and did something very non-traditional. And I went with um, a guy named Nate Bagley. And we had a very um, untraditional start to our, our trip. So we were introduced by a mutual friend of ours. And we did not meet in person until the very first day of our trip. And we ended up doing a three and a half month road trip, went all around the country to interview married couples and, um, raised 30 grand on Kickstarter to fund the trip and do a podcast. And I've, I've thought a lot about that trip since it taught me so, so many things, but I think it's interesting how my answer to that question has changed over time because it's been what? Nine years now.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize since it was that, that trip long happened. Ago. Yeah. It was wow. a really
1: long time ago now. And, and I've, I've thought about going back to some of the couples and um, and seeing how things have changed or evolved and, and kind of comparing notes, like what, what happens over that, that time span. Because I think the average life of a marriage in the United States is somewhere between like seven and 10 years, which is right around the period of time that has elapsed since I did the actual road trip. Um, Nate is still... Uh, very much doing like he this, this is like that was sort of, I think, a, a jumping off point for what's become his career. He's very, very passionate about um, about doing work to help relationships thrive and help marriages thrive. Whereas for me, I, I feel like I kind of went in a little bit more as a journalist where I was really interested in this one thing for a period of time and I wanted to absorb everything I could about it. And then I wanted to go on to like productivity systems and then I wanted to learn <laughs> about golf, you know? So there's, there's, I think we approached it from very different lenses, but it's fascinating thinking about my answer to that question now, eight or nine years later, because the thing that stands out so much to me now is one or two of my favorite couples from the trip. And specifically my all time favorite couple from that trip that like they imprinted on me, you know, when I met them and their names are Ty and Terry Schenzel. I'll tell the story very, very briefly, but they um, are from Omaha, Nebraska. That's where uh, their family is. They have four wonderful kids and they decided to start um, a church called the Hope Center. It was not a church, but it was basically a community center in North Omaha for um, kids to go to when they didn't have any place to go after school. And the degree of impact that this couple had on their community and on literally thousands of people astounded me. Like talk about having a vision for your life and doing something small that then grows into something a little bigger and then grows over time into something enormous. Like it's like compound interest impact, right? Like this, just how it sort of spiraled that they didn't come from a ton of money. They, I mean, they were just, they just had a crazy idea, you know, and, and decided to, to go for it. And Ty led the Hope Center for many, many years. And, um, Nate and I had the privilege of interviewing both him and his wife, Terry. And I just remember walking into their house and it was like being blasted with warmth. Like you could just feel it pouring out of their home like sunbeams, you know, and like I just vividly remember that feeling. And we ended up staying and having a conversation with them for, I think it must have been like four or five hours. We left at like three in the morning because we got wow. to their house super late. It was like a, a very late interview on like a Saturday. We ended up leaving super early morning because that was our only window that we had available while we were driving through Omaha. And we were so I'm so happy that they made time for us because they were by far I'd say the best thing that I took out of that trip. And um, a couple months later, they reached out and said, you know, we we would love to. Oh, I was probably about a year later they reached out and said, you know, we're. Ty, the, the husband who was leading the Hope Center, said, you know, it's just been it's been heavy on my heart to want to leave the Hope Center and, and give that over to somebody else. I feel really strongly called to do that and to start something new with Terry. And so him and Terry had a plan to go on a summer road trip that year. And um, this was uh, 2015. So they went on a summer road trip and they said, we'd love to schedule time with you to chat about. What we're working on, they wanted to start um, their their new project that they were thinking about was um, helping counsel young couples and and help them prepare for healthy, long lasting marriages. And given the road trip that that I had gone on, they're like, "We'd love your insight and your thoughts on you know what you learned." I was like, "Of course." So we set up time on the calendar to have that conversation, and I ended up that weekend having to move to Denver. I was in the middle of a move, so I. I messaged Ty and Terry and said, can we, can we move this back a week? And they're like, no problem at all. And early on a Friday morning, I got a call from a friend of mine in Omaha who had introduced um, me to Ty and Terry. And he said that they had been in a horrific car accident and they both unfortunately passed. And I think it was the first time in my life that people who had so deeply impacted me left the earth and I was overcome with emotion. And it wasn't until a week later when I flew to Omaha for their funeral, this is like so, so crazy to just think about the serendipity of this and, and how just the timing of it all. But I realized that I was supposed to be on the phone with them the afternoon that they passed. And as I was sitting at their funeral, which when I say that the love in this room was palpable, I mean it. I mean, there were thousands of people there and then thousands more on a live stream. Like this, This couple just had such a massive impact on people all over the world and all throughout their community. And as I was sitting there, a calendar reminder popped up on my phone for the call that I was supposed to have with them that got moved back. And I just thought to myself about them and about what it what a weird timing and order to all of that there was. And I don't make too much meaning of it other than that I think they were supposed to be really important people in my life and I was supposed to tell. Their story in some small way through the podcast that Nate and I did, and through conversations like this, for two very specific reasons. One is something related to the way that they lived their lives. And that was that I thought that it was so telling that they left the world on a beautiful, perfect, sunny Thursday. Because Ty and Terry were the kinds of people who never waited for Friday. And we live in a world where so many people are waiting for the weekend. So many people wait all week for Friday. So many people wait all year for summer. So many people wait um, for the holiday weekend and we miss most of life. And it to me, it was such a beautiful metaphor that they left on a beautiful, sunny Thursday day because they were the kinds of people who never waited to live their lives. And the second is that um, they taught me so much about about love and relationships, but it was probably the first time in my life that I experienced what love really does that when you find and build and foster and nurture love in this instance between two people that it becomes the base for the way in which those two people can then go out and love an entire community which can ripple into people's lives for infinity and they really understood what it meant to love well. And they started with the way that they loved themselves and the way that they loved each other. And the way that it spread infectiously throughout their community and throughout the world with everybody who touched them, very much myself included, I think is so representative of, you know, exactly what, what I hope to do in the world in whatever big and small ways that I do it, which is how do you live a life that you're really excited to live? in the small things every day just by being love and by being you and letting yourselves be good ones. So that's probably the biggest thing that I remember from the trip in hindsight which all these many years later I think goes back to the ever present thing that the relationships we have in our lives are the most important and the way people make us feel is what we're always going to remember. And that's what I take out of that trip of all the many beautiful couples I met and wonderful stories and lessons I learned the thing that I think about is Ty and Terry.
0: That's so beautiful. Do you think that they sort of, I mean, it sounds like they inspire the work you do now. And I mean, the way you live your life now. Most certainly.
1: I think more acutely, they have changed a lot of my thinking about what I want love to look like in my life. And certainly with a partner, that's the biggest way. But then the way in which you know my partner and I show up in the world, and how how we make people feel around us, and that's always been kind of the base root of how I think about my relationships, you know, romantically and my friendships too. Like really anybody that I spend time with or surround myself with, I I want people to feel like really loved and really cared for, and I want the most important relationships in my life to be catalytic for the people around us and some sometimes that's a conscious thought that i have but i think that was my big takeaway from them just just like what what really deep rich love can do and how how deeply it can ripple to the people around a couple and so it's most certainly impacted my life but but in ways more than that and i'd say for you know like anybody listening who doesn't feel like they had a great model for healthy romantic love growing up i mean i was raised by an incredible mom who was a single parent, and so I did not see the dynamic of a, you know, a co-parenting, loving relationship between two people raising a kid. And I knew that if I was going to sort of beat the statistic that I'm disproportionately um, likely to be in a divorce and have unhealthy relationship patterns because of the way that I grew up. I knew that I needed a big borrow and steal models of good, healthy love and romantic relationship from anybody that I could, which was the impetus at the time for going on the trip for myself personally. And Ty and Terry are, they're that couple that I think about, you know, some people are like, well, what would Jesus do? I'm like, what would Ty and Terry do? You know, like, (laughs) how how would, how would they feel? I mean, I really have thought about in, in situations where I've seriously dated someone. I'm like, what would Ty and Terry think about this person? Would they, would they like this person for me? And they are kind of my, the, the people that I think about that have almost become not a replacement for, but because my, my mom is, is an incredible person and I love her so much and, you know, really trust her instincts and her feedback about, about my life uh, and the things that I go through in it. But they are that kind of de facto couple that I have in my head that I think about that serves as kind of a, a North star and a, and a a lighthouse for me when I think about romantic relationship and it's become such an interesting gut check, you know, and a lot of the, the loves that I've, that I've been fortunate enough to experience, but also like making decisions when I really have nothing to go on other than just my intuition. Right. And, and Ty and Terry are part of my intuition and my, my heart now. And I'm really grateful for that. We, we all need a tie and Terry, I think.
0: I think so. I think it's so beautiful how even though they've passed on their love continues through you. I mean the fact that 9 years later over the past 9 years you've looked to them for guidance, you know, and looked to the the life they had as as a model. That's just so amazing.
1: Yeah, I feel very lucky. And and that's me being on the periphery, right? That's me having uh, a very a very short and, and, and Yeah casual relationship with them the way that they impacted me was so significant i can't even imagine you know the impact that they had on their on their kids and their core community because i mean they were they were really incredible people
0: melissa thank you so much for having this conversation with me i we all need a and terry i'm so happy that you were able to share that story and thank you so much for for having this conversation and also just for the, you know, the love you you're spreading and the work you do. And I think you're someone that just exudes so much, you know, you talked about the cells and you have so many positive cells that you're putting out there. So thank you for that.
1: Thanks for having me. And, and for that's, that's such a sweet thing to say. And I'm so grateful for your podcast and for, um, the question that I don't like, that I think is really important for us all to think about <laughs> nonetheless, which is, you know, who are you? and I'm um, just really grateful for you and for this conversation. Thanks for having me.
0: You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.